read from John chapter 18, verse 33 through 38. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. And then Pilate said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this morning. Uh, we exalt you. We love you. We worship you. Uh, will you draw us near to you this morning as Robert preaches. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, this is my phone. We can't go anywhere without it, can we? We can't leave home without it. I don't know if you've heard, but there's a new head and shoulders, knees and toes. When you're kids, you learn head and shoulders, knees and toes, right? But as big people, it's a wallet, glasses, keys, and phone. So wallet, glasses, keys, and phone, keys, and phone, keys, and phone, wallet, glasses, keys, and phone. Now I can leave home. Um, I don't know if you know that uh, 5G emits radiation that causes COVID-19. And the moon landing was fake. The government killed JFK. The virus is engineered by the media. Prince Charles is a vampire. Bigfoot is real. Loch Ness Monster is alive. The abdominal snowman has just been found in Asia. So these are truths that we're dropping on this uh, sermon, conspiracy theories, fake news, uh, and the truth. But for real, a lot of things that circulate can probably um, really not have great weight or consequence. Can we agree on that? Some of it is probably silly, if not profane, sacrilege or whatever, but maybe harmless. It just plays into our uh, curiosities, the idleness of our curiosities. But there is a fake news and conspiracy theories that leads to division and hatred. And uh, when there's a lack of trust, there's an agitation and a ferocity and an anger uh, that can set in. Um, a man named Edgar Madison Welch years ago began believing what he was reading on the internet. And he left his North Carolina home as a self-professed devout Christian and father of two. He left his home in North Carolina, drove to Washington, D.C., and walked in a pizza place, a family-style pizza parlor with an AK-47. And he shot some bullets, many, as it would go rapid fire, into the back of the restaurant, into a storage area that he believed was a dungeon that had children in the dungeon that were trafficked and connected to then-presidential candidate Hillary Clinton. And back in 2016, he discovered the dungeon was not there. There were no children. He surrendered himself, gave up his weapons, and served four years in prison. 
April 1995, Timothy McVeigh, after years of believing what he was reading and circulating and in isolation and in community with an agitated community, he drove bombs into the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building in Oklahoma City that killed 168 people. Truth does matter when Pilate, an important man of his time, asked, what is truth? Is there anything greater than we can consider? That not only is there truth, it's not academic, philosophical speculation or theory or conceptual thinking. It points us to a person who can change everything for everyone who is open to it. And that's what we're talking about today when we talk about conspiracy theories, fake news, and the truth. Jesus said something really famous. He was like this. He said this at one point. He said, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Now, in, when he said this, um, I bet all of you have heard that, hadn't you? Anybody know what he said next? I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. And he said, be as wise as serpents and be as innocent as doves. And that becomes kind of difficult when the game changes. When the rules changed, Jesus knew this. He knew what was in the hearts of men. He sent us, sent his disciples out as sheep among wolves. But the tricky thing would be, I mean, that's hard enough to go out as sheep among wolves. But then when the, sh- the wolves wear sheep's clothing, it gets really crazy, doesn't it? And we see that borne out um, in our day as well. But here's my point. Here's what I'm getting at in this famous teaching of Jesus, this sending of his people, and I believe us is that we need to be discerning. And here's what I want to say at the outset when it comes to conspiracy theories and fake news. We need to be wise and we need to be discerning because there are some lies out there. In fact, there are some conspiracy theories out there. A friend of mine sent me a meme this week that said, uh, looking for new conspiracy theories, all our current ones have been proven true. Well, (laughs) that's my buddy there. But uh, not true, but there are some conspiracy theories that do hold weight. They, they point. In fact, one of the first lie of the Bible we'll see in Genesis 3, 1 to, 1 to 4. Uh, there's a lot of truth, but it, it's a lie and it leads to uh, cunning and deception and sin and fracture because it's a lie. So we need to be discerning, but there's some truth in the lie. Volkswagen, let me give you a few examples. Volkswagen deceived people and the Consumer Product Safety Commission vehicular institute for safety and all when they um, lied about their emissions and such on their diesel engines the tobacco industry falsified information and conspired against the public related to the dangers of smoking and its ill effects on our health the national football league sorry fellas but the national football league covered up um, and didn't enhance player safety related to concussion protocol. When I first moved to back to Mississippi and to Jackson some 18 years ago, I got to know a, a woman who became a friend and she came to see me as, as a pastor in, her, in our church at the time. And she was the Time Magazine person of the year. She was on the cover when we were moving here, Cynthia Cooper. She was with Cheryl Watkins and another woman who were whistleblowers at Enron and WorldCom and such. And Cynthia Cooper and friends in a clandestine way began to sense some conspiracy 
in a company called WorldCom. And they had these secret meetings in hotel rooms uh, with other accountants. That sounds exciting, doesn't it? And they met and they realized, hey, this doesn't smell right. Somebody is cooking the books. Somebody's fudging the numbers. There's a conspiracy and somebody's benefiting and a lot of people are going to get hurt. Can I just say we're called, we're sent out um, as sheep among wolves. We're called to be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. And we need to be, we need to be discerning because there are lies out there. First thing, one of the first things I want to say about conspiracy theories and fake news is this. We think that it is American and contemporary, but it is actually ancient and human. It's 600 BC, a prophet by the name of Jeremiah the bullfrog. He led uh, with several kings. He had four kings that he had worked with previously. Some of you guys know about a prophet and the king. The prophet was to be the truth bearer, the truth bringer to the king of Israel. It's an important role, it's a designated role, official job title. And the, the wise men of the, of the day, select wise men, were the prophets. Jeremiah was not the sole prophet. He had prophets around him. I like it when I just get to be the sole prophet. But he had a college of prophets around him, and they were speaking the truth to power, language we would use in our day. And the other prophets were speaking to the king. Now, the Babylonian army had set up camp on Israel's eastern border. And the other prophets, several of them, were telling the king that it's going to be fine. There will be no harm, no foul. Israel will be okay. But Jeremiah spoke the truth. And he spoke the truth to power. And what we see in this ancient book is we see, speaking truth to power, we see a conflicting conspiratorial ideas of what might be true, what is true. And it is very, very ancient. Show you, uh, Gene, if you will, just scroll a few pictures, uh, scroll a few pictures on the screen. This is from 1918 in the San Francisco Bay Area when a group of men and women who were uh, agitated, they were angry, and they gathered to protest in the 1918 uh, influenza outbreak, they protested mask, mask mandates on the grounds that um, it violated their civil, civil liberties and their constitutional rights, and it wasn't scientifically proven to have any benefit. And they gathered, and you can see a forceful display here. You can see from some of those headlines, if you were able to read up, that they had uh, some all-out brawls, and it got really interesting back then. Different ideas of what is true conflicting and spilling over. Fake news, conspiracy theories are not contemporary and American as much as they are ancient and human. A pastor named Mark Sayers is, is not only a pastor, but a cultural critic. And he writes brilliantly. I'm going to recommend him to you today. I am now. But he talks about three things that everybody needs uh, in order to flourish. He goes, he takes Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs and, and makes it more spiritual and speaks into all of us. And here are the three things. I want us to put them up and leave them up. These three words, freedom, meaning, and community. And we can, we're probably better to think of them like reservoirs or water towers. And since we're Americans, everybody American in the house today, most of us, uh, since we're Americans, we, we really value what on, with that trifecta? The, we really value freedom. We, value, we idolize it. We make it a thing. We want to maximize our freedom. And, but in so doing unwittingly, we don't realize that most times we're, we're reducing our meaning 
in our community. Now, as Americans, probably you like me were moved just a couple of short weeks ago as you looked at an airport in Afghanistan and you saw, you, you, maybe you thought, hey, there's something to our country. Look, we have a flawed past. We've got much that we need to correct. We uh, need to bring good gospel justice to our land today. But we are a great nation. And listen to me this morning. We have people trying to get in here. Hundreds getting on an airplane that only sat, what, a couple of hundred. And people actually literally trying to ride the airplane as an attempt to get out of a land that offers so little freedom. And here we are in our land with so much. So the 930 didn't do well. I want, uh, I want y'all to quote with, to me, since we love freedom and no freedom, quote to me the five freedoms we're afforded in the Bill of Rights. Okay, just stand up and let's quote them together, right? Freedom of speech, yeah, freedom of religion, freedom of press, freedom of assembly, freedom of the, the, the right to petition our government. That wasn't as concise as the original framers, but uh, you get what I'm saying there. So those are the five freedoms. You guys know those, appreciate those. Those are what we have. But here's the freedom as we seek to maximize our personal freedoms and unwittingly reduce meaning and community. There are a couple effects of freedom uh, to us. Let, let's think of Americans today. Uh, it, freedom is very, uh, it leads to it leads to polarization, it leads to paralyzation. It leads to polarization in that it divides us because if you're, I mean, who decides who gets to do what, right? And so with that, there comes a lot of fighting. My body, my choice, oh, you better put on your mask. And we fight and we go back and forth with what we believe infringes and what is good and what adds to human flourishing and look, gospel writers, long, listen, ancient and human before it's American and contemporary. Galatians chapter 5, read it. It's about freedom. Christ set us free. I talked to you in the faith series that if your faith is getting more narrow and more rigid and more constrictive, maybe something's wrong with your faith. But a faith that Jesus provides is ennobling and it's loving and it's inclusive and it's beautiful and it is broad. And, but that freedom that we have, Galatians 5, says use your freedom. Enjoy that freedom, but use your freedom. Don't use your freedom to, Galatians 5.13, bite and devour each other. Use your freedom, Galatians 5.16, to serve one another. But with this freedom, there's the polarization. Who gets to decide who gets to do what in our land today? And every issue is framed with these three ideas, particularly freedom, but also meaning and community, whether it's gender issues, gun control, Uh, vaccinations with the virus, mask mandates, abortion, all the heavy issues that divide us. You can think of how these values come into play and how we interpret them similarly or differently. It leads to our paralyzation. Man, you you can put me in a bookstore and say, Robert, look at all these books, but you can only buy one. That's not gonna, I'm not, that's gonna be hard for me. In fact, I'm going to be tempted to shoplift. I don't really have a rich history of shoplifting, but I'll tell you now, if I'm wearing baggy clothes, I'm bringing out more than one book. That's just too many choices for 
a book person, right? Are you with me? You could get up and walk over to Corner Market, formerly known as McDade's. Some of y'all need to stop calling it McDade's. It's Corner Market. You could walk over there a couple hundred yards from us now, walk into one aisle, the cereal aisle, and you're going to find way more than cornflakes and cocoa puffs and cocoa pebbles and Cheerios and Apple Jacks and Lucky Charms. I've named what five. There are hundreds of cereal choices. We love our choices. We love our freedom. Let me be free. Jesus tells a story about freedom, meaning, and community long before Mark Sayers postulates about it. He told a story about a son who went away and he said, before he went away, he said to his dad, give me my inheritance. He wanted to maximize his personal freedom. And he went away in riotous, rebellious living. And he got to the end of himself. He realized that what the, the bright lights that allure and beckon don't satisfy. Anybody have that story? Anybody know that this morning? Like you went, you exercised your personal freedom and found out it didn't deliver what you thought. Oh, I'm going to get what I want. I'm going to do what I want and get what I want and answer to nobody. And it left you hollow and empty, didn't it? And that's the story that Jesus tells. What was he missing? Meaning, his identity. He missed his community. He missed pop. He missed elder brother, maybe. And you think about that. Every day we have an opportunity to exercise personal freedom. Some of you may not feel that way. We've pretty much gotten past uh, the teenage years. We have two in their 20s and one who's 17. But uh, that's a time. There is a time for everybody. It's part of what psychologists call individuation, where we begin to separate and we want our freedom when I was 22, I said, I'm getting out of Dodge. I'm leaving. I'm going to go to California and do my first round of seminary. Then I'm going to go to Florida State. And I'm going to exercise my personal freedom in campus ministry, working with college students. I get to go, to, I get to go on a college campus and wear shorts and a flip-flop. And I don't have to take tests or go to class. Pretty cool deal. I had to raise my own money. But I, I exercised personal freedom. I kind of did what I wanted at 22. But what about my community? What about meaning? What was I leaving behind we flail our arms from the stage and encourage you guys to get out of rows and into circles and join a, join a small group and link up. And every time you, ha- you get an opportunity to decide, do I, wa- do I join a group or do I not? And if you join a group, you decide on a weekly basis, do I show up, do I attend, or do I opt out? And you have the personal freedom pretty much to do what you want, don't you? That's a good thing. But every time you do, when you opt out, you're exercising personal freedom, but at the expense of meaning and community. So now, into this uh, analysis by pastor and cultural critic Mark Sayers. I want to bring some Adam Grant, uh, organizational psychologist, in his book, Think Again. So with those three values that we all need, freedom, meaning, and community, I want you to think about what he says and how it relates to conspiratorial thinking and living and believing falsehoods. When we meet a few other people who share our view we start to take pride in having a special knowledge that other people on the outside don't have. We are now in the know. How? Because we read that article. We got the link and we read like half of it. (laughs) We read the bold print and now we know what other people don't know. We are now in the know. Often we've been on the outside or maybe we weren't respected for our intelligence. This makes us want to prove that we are right. This leads us into a trap of confirmation and desirability biases where we only see what we expect and want to see. The more you affiliate meaning and community, the more you end up with a polarized set of views. 
The way to gain status in a group like this is to be the most extreme version. Anybody aspire to leadership? Go extreme. Get militant. I am more all in than anyone else. Pushing the entire group a little more and more to the extreme. The University of Miami down in Coral Gables, uh, Dr. Joseph Uzinski and his team have developed what is considered now to be the most groundbreaking analysis of conspiratorial thought in all of America, in all the land. And I, I, it's complicated. I probably should wear a bow tie and tweed uh, if I say a lot of this. But they, they took basically letters to the editor for the last 120 years from the New York Times, Chicago Tribune. They did some um, Google stuff and some searches. They were looking for conspiratorial talk, for adversarial language, for anger and hostility, for movements that uprise, for people that want to spark reform and such. And they uh, coalesced it and they had a set of findings that's really good. Now, I want to give you, I did this at the 930, I want to give you a pop quiz. Uh, all right, anybody intimidated? I want you to answer out loud. Here's our pop quiz, and it's multiple choice, so some of you are already feeling better. Um, the first question is this, true or false? True or false? Uh, 2020 was found to be the most conspiratorial year in American history. True or false? I mean, quite a year we've had this past year. Think of all the unrest and uh, something we've never lived through before, all of us alive today, the pandemic. Uh, 2020, true or false, was the most conspiratorial year ever. What's your answer? False, because y'all know me. The answer, the answer they found was the decade of the 1890s and 1950s. Um, the most conspiratorial, the most fake news, the most agitation and um, paranoia, if you will. Second question, true or false, on our pop quiz. Answer out loud when you have your answer um, ready. The internet has increased the believability of conspiracies. The internet has increased the believability of the internet. True or false? Some of you answered early. Your answers are stricken from the record. Um, no, true or false? True, a lot of truths. Didn't hear any false. Uh, the answer is false. Here's what they found, that knowledge of conspiracy theories and fake news has gone way up, but believability has actually gone down. And the idea there is that it speeds up the spread of information, but the information is subjected to various points of view, to data, uh, to different cross-referencing, and uh, the famous phrase, the fact-checking. And so the knowledge of the conspiracies go up, but the believability it goes down. There's a proverb. Solomon knew this way before we were jumping on the internet when Al Gore invented it back in the early 90s. Truth stands the test of time. Lies are soon exposed. So a whole lot more out there, a whole lot of us learning about different conspiratorial uh, ideas, but the believability is subjected. And so spread fast, but believability not so much. And the third one is my uh, most fun question. It almost led to a fistfight uh, in the first service, true or false? Third question, final question in our, uh, in our pop quiz. Uh, Right-wing Republicans are mostly drawn to conspiracy theories. True or false? You don't, maybe don't answer out loud. Let's just save it. Let's just say, because they were like, it, it almost happened right here. It almost got ugly. I was able to, to referee. True or false? What, just internally, what is your answer there? Right-wing conservatives, Republicans are more prone to believe and spread conspiracy theories. True or false? 
The answer is a little tricky. I'm going to go false. I'm just, I'm taken from the University of Miami, but I'm going to go false. Here's the thing. The number one determinant on who believes and spreads conspiracy theories and fake news is determined by, ready, drum roll, who is in the White House. So they, they found that conservative right-wing Republicans, if you will, I'm just name-calling and labeling up here. They, right-wing Republicans um, believe that President Barack Obama was not an American to the same level that Democrats believe that George W. Bush had something to do with 9-11. So it's who is in the White House has a ton to do, and it's the chief determinant on the majority in terms of political affiliation. That surprise anybody. Here's the idea there. It's, it's a loss of power. It's a sense of, 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 of a lack of control. Uh, somebody in, at the University of Miami used uh, sort of tongue-in-cheek language. They said uh, conspiracy theories is for losers. So if you feel like you've been left out, that you're not in power, then you're more prone to believe truths or lies about people in power in their agenda. Just a little food for thought. So as we round toward it, the bulk of it, what is remaining, I want to give you seven actionable items. Don't let that number scare you. We'll roll through this fast. I'll try to honor the time. I didn't at 930, but I will now. uh, Number one, become the curator of your own news. I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Be wise as serpents. Be innocent as doves. Be, Be discerning. Be very wise. Listen, decide how, who will deliver your news to you. Let me give you advice. By the way, the word curator is not a big word. We don't use that a lot. Uh, Think about a museum art curator. In fact, it's a good Google. Just Google that later. What does a museum art curator do? And that's what I'm challenging you to do with your news is don't give it up. Many of you, you let talk show hosts, news editors, and celebrity gossipers decide what you'll learn and be about for hours on a day. Let's be careful. And let me challenge you, data and facts, not opinions. If you ever find yourself watching the news and your blood pressure is rising and your peace of mind is evaporating, newsflash, you're being manipulated. So find sources that are facts and data over opinions. The producers of news are like drug dealers. They want you to consume more. And news is like a drug. It's addictive. It alters your mood. It alters your life. And it it has you going back for more and more of it. So be very careful how you consume the news. And let me just state this simply. Man, some of you want to watch and watch and watch. Go for a walk. Instead of the, in, the nightly news, hang out on the porch. Watch a lighthearted show on Netflix. Be careful. And it, as you know, it happens with great ferocity. And it's, it, to borrow some language of political debate, it's a whole lot of heat and so very little light. And what I'm finding is that you and I can be informed, but decide, don't turn it over to other people. Be a curator of how you get your news. The second thing uh, beyond becoming the curator of your own news is to be like the Bereans. Acts 17, 11. Well, let me back up real quick on the news. Here's what I, another thing I want to say about the news. Um, the news by definition, don't miss this, it, 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 it's not going to last long. 
the, the news is going to change. Let me give you uh, an example. Now, in 2020, the number one word, I don't even have to tell you, the number one word used by Joe Scarborough, Rachel Maddow, uh, Sean Hannity, Tucker Carlson, Anderson Cooper, Don Lim, the, you know, Lester Holt, the number one word used on the nightly newscast was unprecedented. And d- can I just say, not that much is unprecedented. Now, you can go where you want to go, but I'm going to go with Solomon in Ecclesiastes when he said there's nothing new under the sun. And there just really isn't a lot of new. I drove by Wiltshire Avenue uh, yesterday and thought of my late friend, Mr. Earl Darrington, a Woodland Hills Baptist Church member who tried his best to become a Fondren Church member. He, he did become a member. We poked him in, but he couldn't attend much. And he's a, he, he died, and I got to, uh, the honor of doing his funeral, former POW, a prisoner of war at the Battle of the Bulge. And he would remind me of freedom and leadership and sacrifice and how great our, our country is. Let's be careful. Let's be careful at how we consume things. But life changes, and Mr. Earl Darrington will tell you, they're saying, they, they were saying things in his last days that he's seen a whole lot in his lifetime. When I was 14 years old, back in the day, in the late 70s, you could, get your, you could, you could start driving when you were 14 and a half. It's one of those technical things. The driver's license were issued to 15-year-olds. And then if you had a passenger, parent, guardian, someone with their driver's license, you could drive at 14 and a half, six months before you turned 15. So when I was in the early part of my, you know, just turning 14, I was so excited. I was younger than people in my grade, and I was excited. I was feeling left out. I can't wait to, to drive and get a vehicle. But there was something happening in the world with the Jimmy Carter presidential administration in the late 70s with OPEC, the Organization of Petroleum and Engineering Countries, which we all know was formulated in the conference in Baghdad in September of 1960. But anyway, uh, OPEC was going on, and there, there was long lines at the gas pump. There were problems with the production of oil and gas and everything. And I was told, I remember one night, some guy on the news told me that man, we may never drive cars again, that they may become obsolete. And I was like, man, I was so close to like like going on a car date and stuff. Like I had a, had a girl and everything, had some money saved. And I was excited. And I went to my room, crestfallen, forlorn, depressed that I wasn't going to be. And it changed, obviously. It changed. I, I think of uh, my fragile teenage years, early teenage years. Praise God, I'm here today. But I think of John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, when we've been there 10,000 years. Like what you're worried about and what the news has got you, uh, your peace of mind is evaporated, your blood pressure's risen because of what they're telling you on the news. It, that ain't going to matter in 10,000 years. It just isn't. And so news changes. So become a curator of the news and then be like the Bereans. Acts 17, 11, uh, the Bereans, Jews, were a more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness. In other words, they were positive. They wanted to learn, but they examined the scriptures. There was a critical uh, part of them, not a spirit of criticism, as some of you have that spiritual gift, but as a constructive, like I want to know. In other words, my point is, don't accept things at face value. In a world of conspiracy theories and fake news and the truth, search and learn data and facts not opinions. Third thing to share with you, and this is kind of forceful, but I just want to say this because this is me, and I hope, um, hope you hear me on this, but as I watched us go through this past 20 months and post and have tick for tack and point and cross point on social media and such, 
I just prayed for you and prayed for us as followers of Jesus that we would learn how to think specifically that we would learn about logical fallacy, about scientific method, about primary sources, about free speech, and about what the Constitution actually says. So when you throw out something, a very strong opinion as a follower of Jesus about Facebook content moderators, you probably need to learn a little bit of what the Constitution says and what free speech means and what liberty-limiting principles are if you want to in engage meaningfully in the arena of public debate. Is that okay? Does that sound cocky or, all right? So like uh, example would be, oh, the ch changing is changing. Let me, let me say this about the CDC uh, and other government agencies. First Corinthians, let me just throw some Bible into modern science here, but first Corinthians 14, just a leadership principle. First Corinthians 14, eight says, who goes into battle if the trumpet uh, makes an uncertain sound? So when leaders go back and forth and don't give certainty, that is a problem. It's going to be hard to unite people. It's going to be hard to have a civic goodness and common good when there's uncertainty from the trumpet of battle. Okay. So, so let me say that because we've seen that like we have, uh, anybody want to exchange ideas? I'd be happy uh, to do that with you. But let me say this though, the scientific method does change. It does change, and it should change, and we want that. That is a good thing. Primary sources, not secondary information. Primary, logical fallacies, as in like, how do we avoid logical fallacies? So that's me being kind of harsh. We'll move on to four, and we round to it. Number four, invest in institutions. This is counterintuitive. This is very, very counterintuitive. Build them, improve them, particularly the church. Trust. If you are a note taker, write the word trust there. A few thoughts. Just a couple of statistics and then a few thoughts. In 1955, 77% of Americans believed that their government would almost all the time do the right thing. 77%. Then years later, you've got Watergate. You've got Vietnam. You've got racial division and injustice. 1994, one in five Americans believed that their government would mostly do the right thing. When people feel naked and alone, they revert to their tribe. Their radius of trust shrinks. You're out, you're out, you're out, you're out, you're out, you're out, oh, you're out, you're out. Just me and a few. I got my people, I got my tribe. Listen to me, this is grave. People plagued by distrust start to see threats that aren't there. Contempt for people in power rises, as does suspicion towards anybody who holds authority. People are drawn to leaders who use language of menace and threat. Well, I'm against this. I'm against this. I'm against this. You know what? He's against this. I'm going to follow him because he's against all this. And so be careful that you're not bamboozled by a leader that's paranoid and that sees everybody as a threat. Trust matters. And when trust is lacking, and can I just say, it's lacking today. Like I dropped 1955, I dropped 1994. I'm not dropping 2021 on you. But just let it hang in the air. And I would say as a follower of Jesus... As a pastor, I'm calling you, and my words are chosen carefully, invest in institutions, 
build them and then reform, improve them. We need to. We need to speak truth to power. Leaders need to be called out. There are wolves in sheep's clothing and they, we need to reckon with them. And the church is being purified and purged. And all the hashtags and the me too's and the church too's, it's redemptive and it's good. It can be, I mean, I, I think God is all up in it. So we, we reform it, but we need to get back because trust on the good side of things. People in high trust societies are more civically engaged. Trust produces more trust. Some of you in the midst of conspiracy theories and fake news and the truth are wondering about the future of our country. And I'm not sure that there's a lot of hyperbole in some of those thoughts there. But we've got to add to the trust. You and I need to be trustworthy. We need leaders who are trustworthy. We need to call it out in each other. Fifth. Get feedback on the fruit of your life. Sub question thought, what is my learning leading to? If it's leading to mean-spiritedness and conceit and division and isolation, you got the wrong source. You're, you're, you're missing the point. Daniel Wagner last week in Galatians 5 read the fruit of the Spirit. Anybody would want to do that. But he, he read the deeds of the flesh. And I think here's Galatians 5.20. Uh, here's a few of those that we looked at. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, and factions. Are you becoming more, more that way? I'm going to give you a break on the idolatry and witchcraft. But those last few, are you becoming more, more that way, more more divided and more alone, more with a, a smaller radius of trust. What is the fruit of your life? Sixth thing, fight the lies. All of us are conspirators. Look what it says in Jeremiah chapter 23. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Do not listen to MSNBC, CNN, or Fox News to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. We need to fight lies. Here are some common ones. Young people especially. Old folks, you know who you are. You're not done living, but young people especially. Money is the key to happiness. No, it's not. Think of yourself first. Jesus says no. You have the right to satisfy your sexual appetites. Look, you can exercise personal freedom in that area, but it's going to make your life so much more complicated. Come see me about that. And we'll just talk about, does it make your life better or more complicated? A few more real quick. Is It's okay to sin a little. This is a small thing. Listen, have you got to the point where you realize small things are the big things? And when you begin to cut some corners, like you're opening yourself up to a whole different way of living that won't bring you life. And Jesus made a promise that what is hidden in darkness will be revealed in the light. You should get even. Romans 12 would tell you not. Character doesn't matter. Jeremiah would say that the depths of our heart he knows and he will judge based on our heart. What just Not just our, our actions, but our attitudes as well. We need to fight the lies. And ultimately, I want to close on this as Lauren and the team come up. Live in awe of the truth. Align your life with his. When I say living in all, let me give you a principle from Isaiah about conspiracy theories. Isaiah 8, 11 to 13. This is what the Lord says to me. This is him and the Lord. 
His hand is strong upon me. Anybody ever sensed that before? The hand of the Lord is strong upon you, warning me not to follow the way of this people. Do not call conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. When Jesus told the story in Matthew 11 about the unclean spirits going out of someone, it's not enough just to get the unclean spirits out of you. The vacuum has to be filled. The void has to be filled. And you are going to be susceptible to dread and fear. I'm talking about it. If you're not in awe of the one who is true. Oh, that's a freedom I would hope for you. To live in awe of him. To let his hand be upon you. And to listen to him. And to realize, listen, there's a world of difference between the ancient truths of the Lord that will always be relevant. And the transient passing news that you're so anxious of right now. And to live in awe of him. Would you stand? I'm going to sneak something else in real quick. Gina, that last slide or one of about the I am nots. You know, we've uh, done a whole sermon series on the I am's. Jesus said eight things or seven things in John about I am. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, the life. Uh, I am the shepherd. On and on. But there, Jesus gives in John chapter 8 three I am nots. I am not alone. I am not of this world. I am not seeking glory for myself. This is our Savior. Live in all of Him and align your life with Him. Those things free me to orient my life in this world of lies and conspiratorial living and thinking and the division that exists around us. And realizing I'm not alone, realizing there's a greater power and kingdom than this world's kingdom. Some of y'all think I'm, I mean, I'm pretty doggone political. Ask her. I've got opinions about things. Ask her. But there's another kingdom. I am not seeking glory for myself to be freed up of that and those lies. Father, thanks for this morning. Thank you that you are truth. What is truth, Pilate asked? It is Jesus, the Son of God. In you we pray. Amen.